Good morning. Good morning. And for all this, and for all this, nature is never spent. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest, freshest, freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went. O oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs. Because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. We're lighting two chalices this morning. Well, Lindy is lighting two chalices this morning. The chalice of, the, of summer school, the continuity of this week, and Jean Mason's travel chalice, which her daughter bequeathed to me, and which I take everywhere. And for those of you who don't know, Jean Mason was a power, a force, uh, one of the founders of summer school, and my dearest friend. I am open and I am willing. To be hopeless would be so strange. It dishonors those who go before us. So lift me up to the light of change. There is hurting in my family. There is sorrow in my town. There is panic in my nation, there is wailing the whole world round. May the children see more clearly. May the elders be more wise. May the winds of change caress us, even though it burns our eyes. Give me a mighty oak to hold my confusion. Give me a desert to hold my fears. Give me a sunset to hold my wonder. Give me an ocean to hold my tears. I am open and I am willing. To be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors, it dishonors those who go before us. So lift me up to the light of change. This is a song by Holly Near, which I have inviting you, I am inviting us to sing. There is a tricky bit <coughs> in the last second to last stanza on your printed sheet. So we're going to let Mark sing that the first two lines of that stanza, and then we can join him in the last two lines. Otherwise, this pretty, there's a slight change, but anyway, otherwise it's fine. I want to just tell you, I want to say a public thank you to Holly Near, one of the great, great civil activists and songwriters in America. Um, some of you I know have seen her. I know Val has seen her in concert um, and met her, I think. Where are you, Val, darling? Um, I wrote... Um, when I decided this is 
the song I wanted to be the theme of my talk. Um, of course, I didn't have much time. I wrote the, wrote their office and said, how do I get a copy of the sheet music for Mark? And they'd heard of you, Mark. I don't know if it And because I dropped his name, they emailed it to me immediately. Oh, I, oh excuse me. I also did say that I was wanted to teach it to a Unitarian conference in Great Britain. Uh, so this is a great gift, a free gift from Holly Muir. Uh, rise as you, as your spirit moves you. And you'll play it once through, I guess, yeah.
sing this again at the end. And I want you to, oh, your hands up so you can feel the energy of the room. It's amazing. I think I'm, you won't believe this, but I think I might have even learned that here. I <laughs> know oh, you don't believe me. So now's the time to take off your shoes because we stand on holy ground. Only if you wish and only if your socks are clean. <laughs> What did God first say to Moses at the burning bush? Sorry, I gave it away already. Got backwards. Oh, my Lord, you sing so much better than Americans. This is a poem in five voices, which I wrote with the help of Chekhov and a few stolen lines from Rilke. <laughs> when it ever get pu gets published, I'll let you know which lines are which. <laughs> I am light on broken glass. I circle round God. I have been circling for thousands of years, raging on the edge of the still center, lying still in a far pasture. And still I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? I am wood thrush finding bark. On lighted glass, I am reflection. <coughs> I am lost. God above, hear my breath, in my need, you have always been there. I am landscape, I am word, I am the water I pour at mealtime, I am my mother's face. If I could surrender to Earth's intelligence, I would rise up like a tree. Rise up like a tree. I lean into time and pray. God of earth, hear my breath. In my need, you have always been there. I see you. I startle. I turn. While the white bear swims her last, I sweep myself up in alleyways in the city of rising waters. My voice becomes breath. To whom should I turn, if only I could? If only we could surrender to earth, we could rise up like trees. Surrender to the depth we trust, breaking through earth. Into trees. Breaking through earth into trees. Faint as fragrance from the soil. <coughs> On the soil. From the soil. God of earth, hear my prayer. In our need, you have always been there. We will portray you with colours made of apple bark. With feathers of bluebirds, with snakeskins of the young. We are light. 
We circled for thousands of years and we dare to say We are Falcon. We are Storm. We are a great song. Amen. As much as I love doing children's stories, when I'm over here, I always bow to my superior. Fancy asking me to lead a story after that reading. And it's a, such a different nature, but of course it isn't really. I'm sorry, I'm almost in tears. <laughs> you just have to take me as I am, I'm afraid. But luckily, I have two fantastic helpers. I have, I have a monkey. And you've met monkey before. Monkey was here on Monday and has been sort of lurking behind the curtains for a few days. And I also have a duck. Platypus. And the duck is also being sort of hiding on the piano for a little bit. Okay. So this is a story about monkey who's just never sits still, but does get quite depressed at times and is desperately needs friendship. And who better a friend than Platypus the duck, who is <laughs> solid, friendly, and steady. And so one day, monkey decides, I, I just really need to see her, so I'm just going to go and say hello to my friend and so she runs of course because she's always running everywhere or through the trees and says oh hello hello oh it's so lovely to see you oh my word what a beautiful garden you've got there I the garden's on the piano because you haven't spotted it <laughs> she said I wish I could have a garden like that and well platypus said you can, but I warn you, it's very hard work creating a garden. But here you are, look, here's a packet of seeds. So off you go, and you can make your own garden. So Monkey was delighted and ran back home, <laughs> ran back home, and sprinkled the seed. Just, she just raked it a bit first, and just sprinkled <coughs> the seeds. That's right, all over the ground. Put the seed packet down, and then she stood there and glared, glared, glared at the ground. Seeds, come along now, I want you to grow. Well, they didn't grow, like, just like that. And she got very impatient, and then she said, oh, I know what it is. I forgot to water them. I just watered them. So she got a watering can, sort of special Nightingale Centre watering can, and <laughs> watered the seeds, that's it. Put the can down, stared at the seeds. They still didn't grow. <laughs> and then she thought, I know what it is. They're frightened of the dark. So I'll just get my lantern. I'll hold the lantern over the seeds, and then I'm sure they'll grow. But did they grow? No. no. So she put that down. And then she had another thought. Perhaps they're like me. Perhaps they're lonely. So she decided to sing to them. <laughs> La 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 la. Well, I'm afraid that didn't work either. And by this time, Monkey was getting very angry indeed. And so she started shouting at the seeds. Grow. You can help me with this one. Grow. You can all help. Grow. 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 Grow.
Did they grow? No. And at that point, Platypus comes running down from the mountain saying, monkey, monkey, what on earth's going on? What's all this noise about? <laughs> and monkey says, it's those something seeds. <laughs> They're not growing. And Platypus very calmly says, but of course they're not growing. They're frightened. They're frightened of you. They're frightened of the noise you're making. Now look, you're a very tired, overexcited monkey. Have I heard these words before? Now you go away, go and have a good sleep, and just let's see what happens. So Platypus went back, taking her wisdom with her, or hopefully leaving a little bit of it behind, and monkey slept, and he was, she was very tired, slept and slept, and then the next day, she wakes up, the next day she wakes up, and she goes out into the garden, and there she finds beautiful flowers. She is so happy, and goes running off to Platypus, and says, Platypus, you're quite right. <laughs> Gardening is really very hard work. <laughs> Thank you. I've got such a beautiful garden. Aww. Thank you. Do we sing you out? Yeah. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the spirit of love surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. As I say, I hate giving up the floor to anyone, uh, but um, Chris Thompson, we were sitting at the table the other day, and just the two of us, and there was a pause in the conversation, unusually. And, <laughs> and no, she, she, knowing how much I love her reciting poems, said, would you like me to recite a poem? <laughs> and I said, oh my god, yes. And she had me in tears, so I've asked her to recite it for you today. I hate to think I impose myself like that on ever, anybody else. <laughs> and my memory's not what it is, so just in case. It's Church Going by Philip Larkin. <clears throat> Once I'm sure there's nothing going on, I step inside, letting the door thud shut. Another church, matting seats and stone and little books. Sprawlings of flowers cut for Sunday, brownish now. Some brass and stuff up at the holy end. The small, neat organ. And a tense, musty, unignorable silence brewed God knows how long. Hatless, I take off my cycle clips in awkward reverence. Move forward, run my hand around the font. From where I stand, the roof looks almost new, cleaned or restored. Someone would know, I don't. Moots, uh, oh, stepping, mounting the lectern, I peruse a few hectoring large-scale verses, then pronounce, here endeth much more loudly than I'd meant. 
the echoes snigger briefly. Back at the door, I sign the book, donate an Irish sixpence, reflect the place was not worth stopping for. Yet stop I did, in fact I often do, and always end much at a loss like this, wondering what to look for. Wondering too, when churches fall completely out of use, what we shall turn them into. Shall we keep a few cathedrals chronically on show, their parchment plate and picks in locked cases, and let the rest rent free to rain and sheep? Shall we avoid them as unlucky places? Or, after dark, will dubious women come to make their children touch a particular stone, pick simples for a cancer? Or, on some advised night, see walking a dead one? Power of some sort or other will go on, in games and riddles seemingly at random. But superstition, like belief, must die. And what remains when disbelief has gone? Grass, weedy pavements, brambles, buttressed sky. A shape less recognisable each week, a purpose more obscure. And I wonder who will be the last, the very last, to seek this place for what it is. Some ruin, uh, some, uh, one of the crew that tap and jot and knew, know what rude lofts were. Some ruin bibber, randy for antique. Or Christmas addict, counting on a whiff of gown and bands and organ pipes and myrrh. Or will he be my representative? Bored, uninformed. Knowing the ghostly silt dispersed, yet tending to this spot, this cross of ground through suburb scrub, because it held unspilt so long and equably what since is found only in separation, marriage and birth and death and thoughts of these for which was built this special shell. For though I've no idea what this accoutred frowsty barn is worth, it pleases me to stand in silence here. A serious house on serious earth it is, because in whose blent air all our compulsions meet, are recognised and robed as destinies. And that much never can be obsolete, for someone will forever be surprising a hunger in himself to be more serious, and tending, uh, tending with it to this ground which he once heard was proper to grow wise in, if only that so many dead lie round. <clears throat> Thank yous to my readers, the best casting I've ever done, my musician to the panel for daring to invite me, uh, Colleen, oh my god, and Joe and Saint for loosening my shoulders yesterday. <laughs> Gathered here in the mystery of the hour, Gathered here in one strong body, gathered here in the struggle and the power, spirit drawn near. Well, I think.
think we've had enough of joy. <laughs> I was going... I'm going for the paradox. I'm going for paradox instead of joy this morning. I was going to begin with the line, no one has talked yet about sex. <laughs> that little joy in the dark. <laughs> but then Claire threw that incredible line at us, which Joe's been quoting ever since. <laughs> sex is not a bad paradox. As good a paradox as any to start with, making love, making love a great joy. Though when children overhear it, they sometimes think their parents are dying. <laughs> I was afraid that would be too risque for this group, but... So paradoxical though, the very thing that brought them into life sounds like dying. And I'm told, I'm told, that there's sometimes a lot of swearing. <laughs> or take the fact that we appreciate life because it's so damn short. Not despite its being terminal, but because it's terminal. The most joyous person I ever knew was a woman who had been told by her doctor that she could die any moment. That was years ago. She's still euphoric. <laughs> Philosophers for millennium have advised us to live each day as our last, not because it might be our last, but because the idea wakes us up. And we all know what glints of light, moments of joy, we have felt in the days of our deepest grief glints of light on broken glass. And so it is with a culture whose days are numbered, our nations in fear and grief. The darkness of demagoguery, the scapegoating of the other, the madness of capitalism unchecked is upon us. The center will not hold. What rough beast, its hour come around at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. We on both sides of the Atlantic, and by the way, when you've crossed the Atlantic as often as I have, it's no pond, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Those of us on both sides of the Atlantic, we read the news and cannot believe it. Every day a new outrage, every day the Earth's demise advanced. Yesterday's New York Times, Alaska's permafrost thawing. Perma means permanent. Of course, many of us have known this, but the visuals were stunning. Go online and look that up. Second headline. Unbridled and defensive, Trump takes aim at the press. Nothing new, ongoing, more vicious every day. Third headline, what ExxonMobil didn't say about climate change. And let's talk about that this afternoon. Oil, tobacco, sugar, 
all hiring the same fake scientists to do the same fake research, to lie to the American people, to the world. Every day we choose what to do now. Now that it has gone this far, now that fracked gas has come to our town, now that <coughs> clean air and clean water is no longer protected, now that our school curriculums are being gutted, now that, now that, now that. Name the dark, my partner Lori said as I left for the airport. <coughs> Dare to name it. Waves of anger and fear circulate over the bright and darkened lands of the earth, obsessing our private lives. All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street, and the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. How timely is Auden. And the lie of authority whose buildings scrape the sky. Or grope. <laughs> Here's what I said from the pulpit the Sunday and the Monday. I said from the pulpit and to my classes at the university on the Sunday and Monday before the now infamous election. I told them about Susanna Heschel, a professor at Dartmouth, a colleague of mine, the daughter of the great Rabbi Heschel, whose civil rights work and theology informs so many of us to this day, and was a great uh, teacher of mine, though I didn't know him personally. Susanna wrote a book called Betrayal, about the complicity of Protestant churches under the Nazi regime. Across the board, with very few exceptions, Eric Bonhoeffer being one of them, Christian clergy took the Nazi oath. The Vatican's capitulation is well known, but Susanna showed details of large and small Protestant churches, ministers throughout Nazi-occupied Europe, not only silenced, but agreeing to speak from the pulpit in support of the Nazi regime. And I have heard uh, an amazing lecture by somebody I can't remember about the complicity of academics. I just saw Ned back there and it remi reminded me. The complicity of academics uh, is another astounding uh, piece of history. November 2016, in this election, the dark shadow of demagoguery will not soon be over, I said. The coals of fear and hatred, nationalism and racism that accompanies the emotions have been flamed beyond our liberal imaginations. And of course, when I said these words, I thought there was no possibility uh, of the election turning out the way it did. I said to them, this is not between Republicans and Democrats. This is a global marketplace. Think DDT, tobacco, sugar, oil, the leviathan of lies, the corporate megasystems. This is a compulsive liar, the narcissist, the man whose history of demagoguery is clear. This is the racist thug, slouching playing on the terrible fear and poverty of those whom he will least serve. The beast slouching toward Bethlehem. 
Name the darkness, Lori said. <clears throat> a country that is supposedly well-educated and free voting voted, albeit with Russian help, to elect to elect a deeply troubled man and his henchmen. Not this Tuesday, but last November, America went dark. So what is it like to be an American today? We speak of Bush with nostalgia. <laughs> I would have put a million dollars on the fact that I would never say such a thing. <laughs> it's true, we do. As, Margaret, sa as uh, Margaret said of Turkey, so with the United States, quote, facts and agreed values are the first to go. Unquote. The first, the fascist attack, is the press. Fake news. Our governments unraveling under our feet are endangering and frightening millions of people. And I know you all know all this, but Lori told me to name it, so here I am. <laughs> and in America, at least, the present government is skyrocketing the extinction of other species, endangering the planet itself. 16 million people displaced by floods in, the, in Southeast Asia and the current U.S. government pulls out of the Paris Agreement. Cruelty is a click away. For me, the first, for me, first, first utter disbelief, which has not entirely gone away, then shame, despair, and fear. The notes I received from some of you after the shocking election were deeply felt and thankfully received. With prodding from my older son Jacob, I was able to move from that despair into action in his, with his insistence that I march in Washington in January, the day after the inauguration. The and I know some of you marched that day. Uh, the largest worldwide march this earth has ever seen. I know men, uh, I carried the British flag for all my beloved friends here at summer school, all of you whom I knew were with us in spirit, and because I knew you were suffering from the same disbelief and despair. And thanks to Colleen, there was a picture of uh, myself and Jacob on, in the Enquirer, which I thank her for. <clears throat> I'm always uh, be happy to show off that picture because I love showing off my sons. <laughs> Many talks in my office with terrified, terrified students. Not so much afraid for themselves, but afraid their parents would be deported. Afraid the racism would turn then on them. And there are, as you, I'm sure you know, there are Unitarian churches that are acting as, uh, as a, Sanctuaries, yeah. Uh, people are doing amazing things across 
across the country. But nevertheless, we have the Gestapo not rounding up just illegal immigrants who have committed a crime. Not at all. They're terrifying millions and millions of people. I gave a few fiery sermons and then retreat, full-blown retreat to my little farm where I planted new gardens for the native bees and discovered flowers. I planted a vegetable garden, which I share with the groundhog. <laughs> and I brought a picture of, of my little meager fare. And my tech goddess is going to show it to you. <laughs> You're supposed to just click something, they said. I, th I think it's the clicker, the little hand clicker. All right, we'll, sh we'll show it, we'll show it uh, afterwards. Yes. It's coming? This was supposed to be a comic relief, but it's a technolo- It's, it's, yeah. That is my entire harvest. see this it's just so exciting I call it my victory garden <laughs> and it's the first example of what I'm going to be talking about uh, it's a first example of resistance right so I was in retreat but I consider the planting of this and my flowers to help the terrible uh, habitat loss of native bees I consider it an act of resistance these days Despite efforts not to, we follow the news. I don't know anyone that doesn't wake up, probably everyone in this room as well, to see if the world is still here. But for many of us, we rarely discuss it. Lori and I have rules about when we can discuss it and when we can't. No discussion after 7 o'clock. And most of us don't use the T word. We make up euphemisms. <laughs> I hope you've all seen uh, Tina Fey eating sheet cake, calling him Donald John. <laughs> More of the same every day, every day, only each day it's worse. Every day we think this is it, he's hit bottom, and then he goes lower. I walk, and I want to read you from Thoreau's essay, Walking. It's even a better read than Walden. I think that I cannot preserve my health and spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least sauntering through the woods and over the hills and fields absolutely free from all worldly engagements. You must walk moreover like a camel which is said to be the only beast which ruminates when walking. <laughs> when a traveler asked Wordsworth's servant to show him her master's study, she answered, here is his library, but his study is out of doors. And further on in the essay, the famous line, what I have been preparing to say is that in wildness is the preservation of the world. Every tree sends its fibers forth in search of the wild. 
The cities import it at any price. Men plow and sail for it. From the forest and wilderness come the tonics and barks which brace mankind. Our ancestors were savages. It means that in a, it's a good word for him. The story of Romulus and Remus being suckled by a wolf is not a meaningless fable. Lindy Latham reminds us in this wonderful book, which I trust you all have with heart and mind. She reminds us in her meditation that moments of joy can be held <coughs> together with the needs and suffering. So that by, quote, being alive to our wonders and delights, this feeling can flow out to the world in a way that is both healing and enriching. But after four hours of walking, I'm not checking my email, it's my clock. <laughs> after four hours of walking, getting regrounded in nature, after four weeks of walking, after four months of walking and planting, now what? I won't give up walking flowers or vegetables, but can I remain waiting for the Republicans to impeach him? Though impeach him, they will have to do sometime. Can I keep hoping the FBI will arrest him? I do take great heart in the fact that local governments, state, cities, neighborhoods are taking climate change in their own hands worldwide. And I must tell you that you must see a film. It's called Tomorrow. But if you're of the age, write it down. It's called Tomorrow. It's a documentary made by young French people about what is happening all over the globe locally, local communities. And one of them is very near here, and I can't pronounce it. Todd Todmaden, thank you. Did I do it? Um, if you don't know about it, find out about it. It's a must-see movie. It needs to be edited, of course, so sit through a few things. But um, it's, it's, a, it's really uplifting and a very important movie. Things are happening locally, uh, and very, very important. And states are standing up. California is refusing. Many states are refusing to, to uh, go along with the Gestapo maneuvers. The, uh, many states are doing climate change. California, Vermont, of course, in the lead on, on those things. Etc. Uh, but this 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 movie is worldwide. It looks at Copenhagen, looks at San Francisco's waste management, etc. Et I, I sh shared with somebody early on in the week what San Francisco is doing waste management. They said oh, we've been doing that for years over here. Uh, <laughs> of course, we're way so so way. Be Let's not go there. Okay. But to march in Washington in January. Back to what's next. To march in Washington in January. To give a few impassioned talks and then to walk and garden, it is now, it feels to me, not enough. And it dishonors those who have gone before us, who deserve our naming each and every one every summer. So I would like to name the people that are with us in spirit. Jean, Sheila, Simon John, Patricia, Jane, Caroline, Margaret, Irene, Stephanie. And if I've forgotten anyone, please yell out the name. 
Thanks be to God for each and every one of these great souls, these innovators, these lovers of joy, my teachers. And this, this whatever you call this, what do you call this, scarf, is, is, uh, was given to me by Patricia years ago, and I wear it always when I speak. And Sheila, of course, is sitting right here with us. <laughs> She's sitting there at the piano right now, and... <laughs> As sure as I'm standing here, she's there. As I have felt her presence all this terrible year. And she's saying, okay. So? Okay, Nancy. When are you going to, when, when are you going to get out of the garden and do something? More marches, of course, working on the 2018 elections to the House and Senate. Much, much is going on that I can join. Civil disobedience will be heating up. It's terrifying to me, but it's time. I had the privilege of preaching last spring at Theodore Parker's church in West Roxbury, Massachusetts. Um, do you all know who Theodore Parker is? He's great, great American Unitarian abolitionist, such one of the great heroes of our of our movement. Uh, <clears throat> uh, as I, I stood, I stood in his pulpit. I sat in his chair in his office. It was an incredible experience, and uh, it was invited by Anne Bancroft. Some of you will remember her. She came to the first and only International Religious Education Conference held here in what year? Don't know. Um, so I had the honor, Anne is a, just a little bit younger than I am but, and came to ministry late, and I had the honor of giving the charge to the minister sermon at her ordination and was able to say from her pulpit, the Theodore Parker pulpit, um, that uh, as far as I could see she was doing everything I had told her to do. <laughs> There was much laughter and applause because they love her. She's a wonderful, wonderful minister. But one thing she had done, which I should have charged her to do but didn't, she was arrested in a protest to keep the gas company from putting a pipeline underneath a childcare center. So you, know, you have to know Anne Bancroft to understand how astounded I was when she told me this. Anne is as close to perfection as I am far from it. Yeah. <laughs> in her housekeeping, in her dress, in her garden, in her compassion, in her intelligence, everything is in its place, everything is exquisite. Of all the Unitarian ministers in both of our countries, she would have been the last one I would have thought would take such a terrible risk. You did what? Anne Bancroft getting arrested. There is a shot of hope in the dark. <laughs> she said, I didn't think about it. It was so obviously the right thing to do. Oh. Hope in the dark. Where do we find it? How do we muddle through? I've started with darkness because it must be named because darkness is a great gift. We have to take a deep breath before we say it. When some others, <clears throat> but we need to say it over and over again, the darkness is a great gift. 
When some otherwise, I'm sure, wise Eastern philosopher says, quote, do not be dismayed by a broken world, I rise up on all fours and yell, no. Be dismayed. For God's sakes, be dismayed. Be outraged. Read my book. <laughs> you knew I'd get it in there somewhere. When I have conducted workshops based on this book, the days on anger are, of course, the most difficult, but they are essential. Humility, anger, and grace. You can't have one without the other two. It's the Unitarian Trinity. <laughs> Be outraged. Be outraged because only then, in our anger, will we wake up to what is our calling, our luminous particular part in the struggle, in the infinite web of response, our part in the resistance within which we find joy. All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie. Now, we all know resistance is a continuum, an infinite continuum embedded in the present. We are resisting now, sitting here, thinking. My little victory garden is a resistance. Sister, brother, Take your time, go slowly. Listen deep within yourself. Simple things are holy. Now, um, Jane made me hand out those song sheets, but I don't want you uh, looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> Take them home. Um, and I'm going to be singing another thing that I purposely didn't put on, on there, so, so ignore the sheets now. <laughs> I may sing. Who knows what I'm going to do? <laughs> In the present, if the present, let's go back to the present. We heard a lot about the present, yeah? If the present is... Let's, let, so the present, we're in the present. What is the present? It is the memory of the past the richness of the mem our memories, right? And it's an opening to the future, but the future is dark. It's infinitely inscrutable. Is that the right word? Hope so. It is a nice word, that's why I used it, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> the infinite inscrutable future, which of course includes our death and the end of all we love then just being present means we are being resistant, resilient. We are saying yes to now. But, 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 the depth of the yes, the depth of that yes, I wish to emphasize this morning, comes from the depth of our holding on to the complexity of the infinite past and the inscrutable future the light of the past and the unknowable future, the embrace of paradox. 
A friend of mine lost her grown daughter a few years ago, and after days of holding up in her bed, her husband leaned over her and said, Charlotte, get up. I don't know what to do, she replied. Get up. Get up and do what you do. <laughs> and she got up, which was a form of resistance, weathering. Thank you, Claire. Weathering the storm of grief as powerful as Greenham Common. Charlotte got up that day and she took charge of four motherless grandchildren, whom she is still raising eight years later in her 80th decade. Growing up underneath my two brilliant, oppressively 1950s older brothers, many therapists have told me if I hadn't had anger, I would have turned out debilitatingly depressed. <laughs> so true. Now, I want to introduce you to this book. I bought a brand new copy. I'm very cheap. Those of you who know me, I'm cheap, tight as a drum. But I bought a brand new copy. I put it in the silent auction, and I want bidding on it. This is a must-read book. So if you don't win the bid, uh, order more copies. I can't afford to give you any more. This is a book that has, has I read after I found after the march, and really has so helped me. She tell it's it's many things, but one of it is the history of resistance and how we mistake when we um, march against something and we don't win. Then we all go home, well, Americans especially. We go home, it's like, oh, well, that didn't work. And then the next march comes, oh, well, that doesn't work. And somebody today was, how do, you, what do you, how do you decide where to join? Because all these things don't seem to work. Join anywhere, because she, the metaphor she uses in here is, it's like a mushroom, and you know how mushrooms grow? I didn't know this until I read the book. So it's this, all this underground stuff, and then boop, 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 boop right? And she's, she gives you the history, to, so you understand how the protests in Nevada against the, the, uh, the nuclear test sites were inspired the poet in Chechnya, blah, 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 to stop Russian testing. It's unbelievable detail she has. She's a journalist, but first and foremost. It's very, very uplifting. I just want to read you two selections. How are we doing? Ned is threatened to walk out right at 10.15, no matter what. Um, the sleeping, the sleeping giant is one name for the public. When it wakes up, when we wake up, we are no longer only the public. We are civil society, the superpower whose nonviolent means are sometimes, for a shining moment, more powerful than violence, more powerful than regimes and armies. We write history with our feet. And reminded of uh, Abraham Heschel saying, <coughs> marching in Selma arm in arm with Martin Luther King that he felt like he was praying with his feet. Another quote from this wonderful book. It's always too soon to go home. 
from a march. To, that's the context. It's always too soon to go home, to stop marching, to stop resisting. And it always, it's always too soon to calculate effect. You don't know the future. You don't know. I wrote a fairly mediocre poem called April early on in my, in my poetry days. I, uh, it actually started as part of the Essex Hall lecture. And, and um, it got published in a book, and I forgot about it. And then when Charlotte's daughter died, by another friend, I was asked to read it at the, at the memorial service. And when I got there, Charlotte came up and she said, I've read this every day since Polly died. I've read this every day in my yoga, to my yoga class. After the service, a woman came up to me. She said, hi, Nancy, you don't know me, but I lost my daughter a year ago. And Charlotte sent me your poem. And I have read it every day this past year. That's not me. That poem has a life of its own. It has nothing to do with me. I tell the story as much as I can to my students to, 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 so I can hear it. Let your writing get out there. Resistance. You have no idea where it goes. What effect it has. I was reading Soul Nut, sorry. It is always too soon to go home. It's always too soon to calculate effect. I once read an anecdote by someone in the Women's Strike for Peace, the first great anti-nuclear movement in the United States, the one that did contribute to, uh, to a major victory, the 1963 Limited Test Ban Treaty, which brought about the end of above-ground testing of nuclear weapons and much of the radioactive fallout that was showed, showing up in mother's milk and baby's teeth, especially in the Arctic. Um, I'm skipping a little here. The woman from, from the Women's Strike for Peace told of how foolish and futile, one woman told how foolish and futile she felt standing in the rain one morning protesting at the Kennedy White House. Years later, she, she, they stood there for months in the rain, every day, just a few of them. Later that day, later, uh, years later, she heard Dr. Benjamin Spock, great anti-war anti-nuclear leader. <coughs> Years later, she heard Dr. Benjamin Spock, who had become one of the highest profile activists on the issue, say that the turning point for him was spotting a small group of women standing in the rain, <laughs> protesting at the White House. If they were so passionately committed, he thought, he should give the issue more consideration himself. The book is full of, of these wonderful examples. Oh, and then, sorry, there's one more thing. Here's the thing on the movie. Come look at it. Take a picture of it. Um, uh, I can't find it now. Hope. To hope is to gamble. It's to bet on the future, on your desires, to bet on the future, on your desires, on the possibility that an open heart and uncertainty is better than gloom and safety. To hope is dangerous and yet is the opposite of fear, for to live is to risk. And thank you, Danny, for that wonderful. Uh, the danger is to play it safe. And somewhere she says, Hope is not sitting on the sofa. Hope is an axe. <laughs>
Oh, Margaret, Buddha, holding one flower, beauty is truth. Catherine, the honesty of your talk still shakes me to the core. Claire, our ordinary journey made magic through our imagination. Wallace Stevens writes, Stevens writes, I am the necessary of imagination. I am the necessary angel of earth since in my sight you see the earth again. Finding hope and resisting despair in turbulent times. Instead of joy this morning, we look closely at hope. Hope, if anyone, for anyone who lived through uh, middle school, uh, is a very dangerous thing. Eliot tells us, wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. I spent hours and days and weeks hoping for Prince Charming. <laughs> wrong thing. <laughs> hope can be a dangerous thing, a way of ignoring the realities of the present, a way of living in the future, a way of missing what is desirable right in front of you. Margaret Kirk reminds us in this wonderful book that, that the word wait brings with it the sense of watching, like a waiter, a good waiter there, you know, where are they now? Uh, waits and watches uh, quite deeply embedded, quote, in the meaning of our word wait is the suggestion that however powerless we might feel, waiting brings with it an awakening. William Sloan Coffin, great Congregationalist minister, I had many debates with him. He always thought, he thought the Unitarians didn't understand sin, and I told him that Congregationalists didn't understand the radical nature of our, underst our understanding of forgiveness. We had many, many bouts. I was privileged to get to know him in his retirement years in Vermont. Uh, William Sloan Coffin on hope, quote, by the way, he has another book that I'm not quoting from. Uh, it's called, The Heart is a Little to the Left. <laughs> hope. Hope has nothing to do with optimism. Its opposite is not pessimism but despair. Hope criticizes what is, hopelessness rationalizes it. How many moments have we had that? Hope resists, hopelessness adapts. Hope resists, hopelessness adapts. We've had three, uh, uh, okay, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of, <clears throat> Emily Dickinson, referred to yesterday by Claire, tells us hope is a bird that sings and never stops, and hope is a bird that sings without words. Ennui, the great French playwright, his, in his famous play Antigone, written in 1946, important date, hope that foul deceitful thing, hope that whore. 
Henri's definition is all too descriptive of our times. We know such hope. We see it daily in our personal lives, in advertisements, in political campaigns, in the votes of the desperate, in the playing of the lottery by the poorest among us. We see it on reality TV, in the American election, in Brexit. Hope, that foul, deceitful thing, that whore. The frontier mentality and obsessive future orientation of North American culture has created the penultimate acting out of Ennui's definition. For millennia, we have, we Americans have used hope and our dreams of future prosperity to cover up the genocide, slavery, alcohol, and tobacco on which the United States was founded. Eliot, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith and the love, sorry, there is yet faith, but the faith and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. Or in the words of Dawn Buckle, a summer school leader, let us be danced by the dance. Let the spirit move. Hope is Wangari Matai in Kenya risking her life in founding and leading the Greenbelt movement. Hope criticizes what is and then acts. Through all the tears and dread of stillness, and here I quote myself, we feel our immense power no longer as control or combat, but as patience. Remember Lindy's story. Not a patience of acquiescence, not a patience even of mercy, but a patience that means to change everything. I have two songs I want to end with, so I'm going to end this. I want to tell. I was going. To, I will tell you in the in the about Rachel Carson. Um, I was going to tell you the story of Moses, but you can read it. <laughs> the horrible voice of God saying, "Go back and save your people." I invite you all to ask yourself, "Who are my people?" And extend it beyond our species, please. My people are the species that cannot speak for themselves. Who are your people? You must go save them. We find joy in the present, and from that abundance we dare to hope. We act, we write, we march, we sing. We send our letter to the world with no specific hope and in full awareness that we have no idea of our effect. But we know, we know when we are called and we answer with Moses, with Rachel, with Isaiah, Hanani, here I am, send me.
Will you sing with me and for me, please? Hymn number <coughs> two twenty-six. After which we will sing again, I am willing. And I need a hymn. Two 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 six. Two sorry, two two six. Because we're moving back to Hallinier, I am open and I am willing. What did I say? Yes, well, pa- life is paradoxical. You have to. 